0: everyone, welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by Co-Lead Pastor, Alison Gunnendyke. Well, we are in a new series today. Um... And it is called Equal. Uh, do we have the graphic up there? I just feel like showing that. Isn't that cool? Oh man, I I I can't look away. Really, like the mosaic pieces, the little the little tiles of this person's face is just really stunning to me. Um, so we are kicking off a series called Equal, and this is about women in leadership. And the idea is that. Uh, Women are equally called, they're equally gifted, they're equal in authority uh, to lead in the church and to bring all of themselves into the spaces that God is asking them to show up. And so uh, in the next uh, sort of several weeks, we're actually gonna be highlighting different women in the Bible and digging into their story um, about how they're leading in their context. And to set the stage for you all, um, I actually want to show you this painting up here on the stage or on the screen first. Okay, this is a painting from a parish church of Saint Thomas and Saint Edmund, and this church, where this painting is at, was founded for the purpose of giving workers who were building a different cathedral nearby a place to go and worship while the new cathedral was being built. Right, Um, And this this church had this just stunning artwork over their main arch as they walked in. Um, But there were also these uh, smaller paintings on the sides next to this. And this is one that I want you to hear from a woman named Beth Allison Barr. She's a history professor at Baylor University. And this is what she's writing about this painting. She says, the faded colors of the image do not dull the woman's joy as they each touch the swollen belly of the other. Not only do they see the miracle God has wrought within their bodies, but the 15th century artist who painted them made sure that all who visited the church would see that miracle too. Except that for 200 years, no one did. For more than 200 years, no one knew these medieval paintings existed. According to the official church guide, the walls were whitewashed during the Reformation, hiding the striking medieval Catholic scenes behind a drab coat of Protestant white. Yeah. For generations, worshippers came and went through this church, not much more than a stone's throw from the soaring spire of the Salisbury Cathedral, They listened to sermons, they sang hymns, they celebrated weddings, and they buried their friends. Their eyes would have wandered across the wooden beamed ceilings and the stone walls around them. Yet until 1819, when someone investigated the traces of colors in the channel arch above, no one who had been inside this church after the 16th century had seen these paintings were there, and they had always been there right before their eyes. So of course they went on to recover these paintings, to take that whitewashed paint off and and now they are restored and able to be viewed. And I think this is just such a helpful lens as we consider women in the Bible and their leadership, is that women in the early church were much like these paintings. They led with the support and the responsiveness of the men around them. But our eyes have just not been attentive to their stories. And in essence, they have just sort of been hiding in plain sight in the Bible ever since. And so I just wanna name a couple things as we get started here. Some of us maybe didn't grow up in a Christian context, going to church. Um, And so this narrative might not feel very controversial to you. And especially if maybe the vineyard was your first touch of church, because we, you know, in our theology and in our books, we elevate and esteem and allow women to take all sorts of office in the church. And then there's others of you who have a religious heritage that has disallowed women to lead. And, And I might even add that not only have they not allowed women to lead, they've actually felt like they've kind of repressed or stifled your personhood as a woman. I just think we all have a story. We all have a story about how men and women show up together in the world and participate together. And I have found in the church There's both really strong opinion on this, and there's a lot of pain. And so I just wanna name that to start. And I also wanna say that before we jump in, um, there are those passages in the Bible that do seem to suggest that women should not teach, should stay silent. And uh, Amos is gonna tackle that next week. So this is a teaser. (laughs) Um, I would love to do it, but he will do a better job. And I I just want us to to notice that the hermeneutic or or the method by which we interpret the Bible that really matters when we're approaching these texts, and he's going to help us through that next week, right? Um, But for today, I'm just praying that we can come um, and maybe just have some fresh eyes, maybe just begin to remove some of that whitewashing that might be there in our story, that kind of doesn't allow us to see Jesus and people as equal in all the gifting that, that he offers. And you know, Jesus, he just encountered all kinds of women and it wasn't a scandal to him, right? He, he wasn't considering how this was going to affect his reputation when he hung out with women. He shared his life with them, he shared meals with them, he healed them, he blessed them, he called them to follow him and then give away what they had and to lead other people to do the same. Um, And so today we're gonna look at Mary, Jesus' mother. And I just love this story. I've just been so enamored by it this week, Um, mostly because I think about Jesus in his adulthood interacting with women, don't you? Kind of think like, well, When I think about those dynamics, Jesus has always grown. Um, But today, I think we're going to actually see how he's honoring, he's elevating, he's calling into leadership women, even before he was born, like when he was in the womb and as he's a child and as he grows up. Uh, So if you want to grab your Bibles, you can do that. Uh, You can open to, I think it's page 1066 in the Bibles that we have around here. But you're going to go to Luke 1 um, and start in... Uh, verse 39 and let's stand to honor God's Word as as we read it Um, and kind of as we just get into that posture before I read I'm just gonna pray for us again here just that the Spirit would come and settle down so Holy Spirit we do welcome you as we read this morning your word welcome Jesus welcome God, we welcome you into the places of resistance in our heart. We welcome you into our distractions. We welcome you into our, our bodies that maybe aren't functioning like we wish they would in this moment, in our fatigue, in our tiredness, in our pain. And we say, welcome. Yeah, we love you, Jesus. Luke 1.39, this is Mary visiting Elizabeth, we'll start there. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. And then Mary goes into her song of praise. And she responds, oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. and his children, forevermore. Amen. You can have a seat. Yeah, we need to wipe the stained glass kind of Christmas version of this story out of our minds to even see and grasp what is going on here today, and and just see this with fresh eyes. Um, and so, if we back up a few verses before that. Uh, This is actually describing the Annunciation, where um, Gabriel, the angel, gives like the world's most dramatic pregnancy announcement you've ever seen, right? (laughs) Like, truly, this is a thing. There's gender reveals, there's pregnancy announcements. Everybody's trying to one-up each other, but it's like, who had an angel show up? Like, that's amazing. So this happens, and we all know the story, right? Like, she's terrified, she's confused. There's like, what is going on? And and Gabriel actually uses, in his uh, pregnancy announcement, he's using the Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah's exact words to try to get her attention to say, this is a significant moment. And while she is just like, how can this be? This is so confusing. She's got all these doubts and all these questions stirring up in her heart, but she also has a ton of faith and she has a ton of humility. And so she responds and says, okay, like, I'm God's servant. I will consent to this. She consents in her her spirit um, that these words that this angel spoke to her will be true. And of course, she can't even begin, you guys, to comprehend all this is going to mean for her life. Right? But there's this quickened obedience. There's this yes. It's right out in front of her. And, you know, I think if she would have thought about this a little longer, she would have realized, like, this plan not only sounds ridiculous, (laughs) but there's probably not a quicker way for me to, like, dig down even further into the rungs of society than to be a young, teenage, unwed mom. This is going to cause massive disruption to Mary's life to say yes to this. And she doesn't understand. I don't know how this is going to play out. But she gives this, just this courageous yes in this moment. And so right off the bat, I just want us to see, like, this is radical. God is like, giving a, a serious commitment of his partnership with a woman right away because he could have chosen to bring his son, the king, the savior into the world any other way he wanted, right? He could just like snap his fingers, boom, there he is. He's a full grown man. He could have made him appear however he wanted. And he says, I'm choosing this really down and out, young, poor woman to carry my my presence. And okay, so just pause here. I think we have to consider God's choice. In, in a mom for Jesus. You know, like, I I was like, this is wild. Do We really understand how weird this is. Like, I was thinking, God, wouldn't it have made sense to maybe, like, get somebody who was, like, road-tested in being a mom? Like, maybe had a couple kids already and, like, knew what they were doing, right? Or, or like, you're picking, like, she probably was, like, 13, 14 years old, right? Young, like you're gonna pick, maybe just, like, pick somebody who's not, basically a kid themselves still (laughs) too, right? This is wild. She doesn't have a clue how to raise a kid. But God doesn't pick an expert. He actually chooses to have Jesus be born into poverty. And Elizabeth's reaction to this whole thing is fairly notable as well. If you still have your Bibles open, you can can kind of follow along here a little bit. There's not a sense of competition or envy or anything coming from Elizabeth, right? She says, who are you? Who are you to come to me, the mother of my savior? And John has this response in him, John the Baptist is, is, she's carrying him, and he leaps for joy. And she like, she's losing sight of the miracle that's in her at that moment, too, right? Because she's been barren for years. And so she could have been like, "Look what God's doing in me, but no. She realizes that she's in the presence of someone who's even more honored than the baby that she has in that moment. Why am I so special? This is like unimaginable that, that Elizabeth or that Mary would come to me. And Mary's a nobody. Right? Mary's probably never been spoken to with that kind of reverence. This is a moment of brilliant theological declaration. They're going back and forth in their discourse here. And Elizabeth is saying, God's blessed you above all women, and your child's blessed. Right? You're the mother of the Messiah. And it's really fascinating. It's like brilliant theological declaration because she's saying God has made a promise to you to do this thing. But then she's also saying the baby is God too. And it's like, wait, is God, is God doing, is God bringing the baby or is the, is the baby God? And it's like, yes, yes. This is wild. Like I, I was, I was thinking about how Trinitarian this is. Right, the Holy Spirit has come on Elizabeth and she's been illuminated into the truth of what's happening. And now she's recognizing God the Father and here's God the Son inside Mary. What a moment. Like this, they are telling the gospel. They are telling the gospel. And Mary's response here is a song of joy. She has all this um, clarity come to her and bubble up from inside of her. Teaches your stuff together. And she sings this song. And again, I mean, I don't know about you, but we read this one at Christmas a lot. Like, if I started reading Mary's song and some of you were like, this is Easter, Allison, wrong season, I totally get it, because this is when we usually read the song. It's Christmas time, right? But here comes this song out of Mary, and there's, you know, we think like, oh, it's this sweet little song that makes me feel really nostalgic. And there's like not an ounce of sentimentality in this. Everything before this moment has pointed to a redeemer that's coming to make all things right. And now Mary, Mary is the first to preach the gospel. Do you catch this? And in NT Wright's words, he actually says, this is the gospel before the gospel, right? Joy is exploding from her, and she starts to tell us everything that we need to know about the God who created us, his plan to come redeem, and how we can love him in return. That's what she's doing. Mary's song is one of the longest speeches in the gospels, other than the words of Jesus himself. And so that's significant, that Luke is actually giving um, his opening stories, he's giving space to these two women to tell this. And it's, it's significant because he's saying, I want you to read everything else in the book of Luke through this lens. Mary's pitching the gospel for the first time. And when she says like, my soul glorifies the Lord, my soul is praising the Lord, it's not just her own joy. She's actually tapping back to the Psalms. She's hearkening back to all the prophetic utterances that all the prophets before her have given to say that this is how this is going to happen. So she's a prophet in this moment. She's harmonizing her story with Israel's story. And essentially she has become the spokeswoman uh, for all of Israel. These prophetic utterances that Mary and Elizabeth have here have just continued to to teach and inform the church. We still read their words with weight. And her message is that, hey, those who have been made low in society, they actually get raised up. And she's also describing a day where men and women together will function as prophet, priest, and king. And so she's saying, hey, we get to practice for heaven now. The heaven reality is that that is what's happening, that men and women together are expressing the fullness of all the gifts. And she's saying, let's let's do this together now as brothers and sisters, as co-heirs in Christ. And so the application that I hope that you're getting present to here is like how do we follow Mary's leadership? How do we actually apply this big thing that's it's actually just too grand for us to understand? But, but if we were together, men and women in this context, able to walk some of this out that Mary's giving us, what would that look like? So I just wanna spend the rest of the time just drawing out some biblical leadership principles from her life and seeing how we might embody those, right? So the first one is leadership is about humble service. We, of course, see this in the life of Jesus, right? He's, he's an awesome model of that. But before that, we see it in his mom. We see it in his mom. It's just this posture of receiving humbly the life that God gives us. And so as we do that, then more life comes forth. Mary is saying, I, I'm in that, in that bottom of the totem pole category. This is me. And I'm gonna be raised up. And, and those who think that they're at the top of, of the height of human experience are going to come crashing down. That's what this is saying. And she's declaring that there's winds of God's grace that are coming, right? She's saying the gospel is about grace. And she's urging us to consider how are you going to relate to the grace, right? Because up until this point, it was keep the law, keep the rules, keep your head down, obey, make, make God happy. And she's saying, how, what are you going to do with this radical message that it's actually not about your behavior anymore? How many of you have ever been sailing? Has anybody been sailing in the sailboat? Okay, yeah, several of you in the room, okay. I think I've probably told this story before, but it's just, it's a good one, it's worth re-saying. Um, the first time I tried it was in Jamaica with Amos, and he told me that he had some experience sailing, and I trusted that. <laughs> Maybe it was not the best choice in hindsight. He's like, oh yeah, I did this, I did this race across Lake Michigan, I got this. It's like, and I'm thinking, okay, well it's like shallow water, we're at this all-inclusive resort, like how bad could it get? We go in the boat and it's awesome. Like we're looking at fish and we're looking at the scenery and then we realize we have to turn the boat at some point because we're just like heading down it's like, this is great, but our like, hotel's over there. And I'm like, we're getting a little far away. He's like, yeah, it's probably turn- time to turn around. And we tack and we tack and we tack and we tug and we pull and we try like every technique we can do to turn this dumb sailboat around and it doesn't. It doesn't turn. The wind, like we're working against it, right? And we were actually, I think three or four full resorts like down the shore before the rescue speedboat people came to get us. Cause I'm like, we don't have, we don't have our cell phones, right? Cause we don't want our cell phones to go in the ocean. So I'm like, what do we do? Do they even know? Do we have like a flag we can wave? No, that doesn't work. We have, clearly we have a sail already. That's not working, no flags. Okay, how how are we gonna get their attention? But they came and I think they actually really enjoyed getting to hop in their speedboat. Uh, They kind of just sit there and wait for people to have struggles so they can have fun, right? I realized that, but I was feeling a lot of shame. They loved it. Okay, but what's the point? The point is how you relate to the wind of grace matters. And I think that's what she's saying here, right? God's spirit of grace in your life, that wind can pick you up and catapult you and energize you and take you where God is trying to get you to go. And the exact same wind, if you don't relate to it correctly, if you're working against it, it will toss you out of the boat, throw you up against a rock, maybe even drown you. And Mary's saying, if you're a leader, don't forget this. Don't forget humility. Don't forget to posture yourself in a way that you can work with the wind of the spirit and not against him in your own strength and in your own energy. The second uh, leadership principle here I see is that calling is discerned in community. You probably have heard me say this so many times and you're bored with it, but I I just cannot say this enough, you guys. Calling is discerned in community. The reason Mary goes off to see Elizabeth is because the Spirit has told her, the angels told her, that that Elizabeth is pregnant also. And she arrives and suddenly gets this Power and this spiritual discernment, these these eyes to see what's actually true. And so when the wisdom comes pouring forth out of Elizabeth, that's actually the light bulb moment for Mary. I kind of imagine like Mary's traveling this whole time, going like, am I crazy? No one else was there. Like I saw the angel, but isn't it? But I need help. I need somebody else to tell me. Is what I feel true and right and good? And so she's like, I don't know what's gonna happen when I show up to Elizabeth, but, but let's see, right? And so there's this back and forth discernment that you can kind of see that's happening as these two women feed off each other. And then that's when Mary realizes, okay, I think this is really what God is doing. And that's because we find God in community. And I think this principle, again, looks so different than the culture, so different than the world. The world would say you can be self-promoting, you can be self-anointed, you can um, be self-accredited. If you're really good at something, you can just say that is so and, and try to lead out of that space. And I mean, there's so much I could say about this. We could unpack that for a while, but I would just say like delusion is too easy. It's too easy to become self-deceived when you're trying to figure out your calling and where you're gonna lead in your life. So you need other people to confirm, yes, this is what I see the Lord doing in you. I don't think I've ever discerned anything fully without friends around me. And in fact, I I think I would have walked let me stop that, not walked, ran. I think I would have run, run away <laughs> as fast as I could in the other direction from some of the things that God's called me to do in my life if it weren't for people saying, I see this in you. This is what God's asking you to do. And that's because, like, this is what's so cool about community. There's, there's ways that I know someone else because of other friends' presence in their life, right? So, like, I know Joanna, in a way that I wouldn't, in, unless Steve's in the room, because there's something about Steve. <laughs> that's a great example. <laughs> there's something about Steve that brings out a certain a certain personality of Joanna. <laughs> totally right. Okay, I'm picking on my worship leaders because I'm with them and I see this dynamic a lot. But but really, like, have you ever thought about that, like? you learn about people differently based on who else is in the conversation and in the room. It's only together that we see God more truly. I think that's really what I want you to know here. Okay, a couple other quick principles. Third thing. We go to the next slide, I'm not sure how I said this. (laughs) Hmm. A leader's personal encounters with God point others to him, awesome. So you see that Mary is connecting her encounter to the character of God, to who he is, to what he's doing in the world, and then she like points everybody to this. She's not keeping it for herself. I think that's just kingdom leadership, right? Whatever God has given me, I wanna then give my time and energy and attention to giving that thing away. Whatever God gives me, I'm giving it away. That's really what it means to lead in the kingdom of God. You don't keep things for yourself to try to build your own empire. We're pointing to Jesus's kingdom and saying, here, I'll I'll help you in any way I can. You give it away and you do it again and again and again and again. And I think, how many times did Mary show up for the call on her life? Like this was not a one and done for her. Like, okay, heard the message, did the thing, check, moving on, like fulfilled my obedience to Jesus, right? Nope. She accomplished God's will in her life through the right foot, left foot, walking it out every single day because she was a mom. She was a mom, this is the best and hardest task. It's like the crucible that brings you to the end of yourself every single day. And I could tell you lots of stories about the ways that that happens for me. But I think the final leadership principle that I am so grounded in when I look at the life of Mary, this is the one that keeps me, keeps me encouraged rather than discouraged. I'm just in awe of Mary for this. And it is, it is what Dallas Willard says, it's Mary's long obedience in the same direction. That's what we see in Mary. And that's what it means to lead. This is what it means to stay in the game, to show up even when it looks like nothing is happening. And I want you to know that if you do that enough times, if you keep giving yourself to a task that looks fruitless to the world, you're going to be really misunderstood. I can imagine that's how Mary felt. I know that's how Jesus felt. Right? Mary has decided, she said, I gave this one yes to God and it changed every other yes in my life. Really, it just means that leadership is more about being present than it is about skills and competency, which I'm cringing as I say that because of my personality type, I love skills and I love competency and I love things to be measurable and tracked and I love showing people that I I can hit the mark, except for that's not what it means to lead at all. because my skill is gonna wax and wane throughout different seasons of my life, throughout uh, different energy levels, let's say, that we might have, but that's not what it's about. And I I figure, like, Mary definitely didn't start off as a competent mom, right? And I've gotta imagine that parenting Jesus just gave her such a run for her money. Like, I, I think my girls are hard. Sometimes I'm like, oh. What was, what was like leading the savior of the world like? Like I think about Mary, like trying to get Jesus to go to bed on time or trying to get him to eat vegetables or trying to get him to hang out with the right kids, right? Or trying to get him to not break his curfew or whatever. And then she's like watching, she's trying to teach him and she's just watching him do whatever the father's doing because that's what we know he does, right? So she'll say to this and he's like, peace out, mom, going over here. I mean, can you imagine? She's like, this is terrible. God tasked me to like raise up the savior and I can't even reign him in. I mean, I just, I think about this. Think about this. But Mary was given a promise that she had to carry for decades before she realized any of it. I just imagine she woke up most mornings wondering, like, is this gonna be the day? Like, I have this promise inside me and it's not my news to share. Jesus has to be ready to launch his public ministry. She didn't do until he was in his like 30. So it's 30 years, she's like, what are we doing? Like, looks like a kind of normal kid to me. Like, when is everybody gonna realize that their hopes and dreams and the savior of the world is like right in front of them? And she's just waiting and waiting and toiling and parenting and mothering and carrying this promise. And then at, that, at the party where Jesus performs his first miracle, right? She's like, come on, now is the time. And he's like, shh, and it's just, it's so great because you get this awesome kind of interaction of adult, child. And mom, and you realize, like, Mary wasn't just a mom to Jesus. He was, like, her mentor. There's no other male relative that's listed in the Bible as, like, training Jesus up. It was his mom. And she is, is like, we're doing this today. You're (laughs) going to do a miracle, right? It's time. But then, shortly after, really, pretty shortly after, he died. I just think Mary has been given more leadership responsibility, more weight on her shoulders than any other person in Israel in the whole Bible because he says, I'm giving you the task to have enough courage, enough faith, enough perseverance to bear and then raise and then follow your son as the Messiah. That's not a small task. And I just imagine as she is standing in front of the cross wailing, I imagine the sacrifice of that leadership call in her life was pretty crushing in that moment. Right? Like this wasn't worth it. I threw away so much. We often think about how disorienting that moment would have been for the disciples who were standing there, but I I would just suggest to you, Mary was probably the most confused and the most disillusioned of all of them. And yet, it's in that simultaneously terrible and amazing moment where Jesus dies that that we have the foreshadowing of the barren cousin Elizabeth and the, the pregnant, unwed mother of Jesus and it's all saying the same thing these women had no voice in society and they're singing they're singing about a God who enters at the moment of pain and brokenness and loss and Jesus isn't repelled by these these women at all he just he chooses to reveal his glory in them right in that moment So that's the leadership story I wanna tell with my life. I would say to all of you, male or female, that's the leadership story you get to tell with your lives. It's a gospel that says every piece of of the brokenness of your life is actually meant to point to something really beautiful. And the places that you feel like you have something to contribute to God's mission, those things actually for me have gotten in the way. It's been in the places of incompetence, of lack, of not knowing what I'm doing, that that's where God says, this is the place I want you to lead. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.